Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are working to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm joined by Robbie Dowling and we'll both be with you until seven o'clock this evening. Uh, Robbie, over the last couple of weeks, we've been chatting about food and waste and we're staying on that topic again this week. Yeah, we are staying on the topic this week, Deirdre. Um, later in the show, we'll hear from James Murphy of Murphy's Craft Butchers on how they actively look to reduce their own food waste. Dr. John McHugh of Ongardi Bio delves into what Ongardi Bio do and how growing your own food is achievable for everybody. Eileen Doyle of the Cordes Centre in Tullow brings us through the many advantages of being a food cloud user. But first I caught up with Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise with the Carlo Local Enterprise Office, Seamus Dorn. We discussed how local businesses can go about cutting down their own waste in both an environmentally friendly and affordable manner. First question I posed to Seamus was, what his own role entail? My role is Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise in Carlow County Council's local enterprise office. So what I do on a daily basis is work with individual businesses throughout Carlow to help them on a path to growth and to help them really achieve their potential. I also develop a lot of programmes which support businesses more generally so would work with a number of businesses together and would also do a lot of work looking at the economic ecosystem within Carlo. so we will do a lot of work as well to make uh, Carlo a very attractive place for people to establish business and to do business in and when we talk about kind of you know your own role is it more of a sectorial role in the sense that you work within specific industries uh, how does that kind of work No, we have a very broad remit here. We will work with any business going in any sector with with a few uh, very obvious exceptions, the likes of tobacco businesses or things that go against government policy. But outside of that, we will work with any business. Now, what we do, however, is we, we will work sectorally in terms of developing particular programs which target specific sectors. So we might develop an engineering program or we might develop a tourism business program or we might develop a program looking at food producers. But by and large, there are very few businesses without, within County Carlow that we wouldn't be able to work with and support in some way. And could you delve into the work that you do in terms of cutting down food waste for businesses a bit more, Seamus? It's an absolutely critical issue at the moment. It's something which has a huge environmental cost and a huge financial cost. And there's also legal issues there for businesses as well. So the the environmental cost is something which affects everyone. We, We all depend on a good, strong, healthy environment. And food waste does contribute to environmental concerns. The financial cost then is something which hits each business far more than they actually realise. And in the current climate where costs are spiralling for businesses, if we can help them work on their if we can help them to to, to face the issue of food waste and to reduce that unnecessary cost, we'll help make them both more environmentally and more financially sustainable. But there is also a legal obligation on businesses as well that many of them mightn't be aware of. So what we do is we put together programmes which look at each of those issues, which study
study the issue of food waste, try to show businesses just the impact it is having on them and help them put steps in place then to minimise the, the impact both financially and environmentally on them. And how important is that in the sense that one for the businesses but also in terms of their role as leaders within the community? Well, it, it, it's very important. If you look at the interaction between business and the community firstly and look at the impact that food waste would have there, if you look on a global level, it's estimated that one quarter of all food produced in the world is wasted. And that's responsible for somewhere between 8 to 10% of human-produced greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if you look at the environmental challenges the world is facing today, if you can do something about 8 to 10% of greenhouse gas emissions in one go. And if you can also re- reduce the amount of food being produced by one quarter because it's, that's the amount being wasted, it has a huge impact then on local communities and on the wider environment. So, so there is a huge obligation there, both morally, environmentally and legally, on businesses to act in this way. And to be fair to businesses, they are recognising that and many of them are very interested now in assessing how they're producing food waste, the financial impact it's having on them and what steps they can uh, take to minimise that. And you mentioned at the start of the interview, Seamus, that you put programmes in place as part of your own job. Are there any programmes that you've put in place regarding this issue? There, there is. We ran a very successful programme last year called Optimisation Plus and we're running the same one again in 2023. And what it did was take a very structured approach to the issue of food waste within businesses in Carlo. So it was based very much on research that was undertaken by the Environmental Protection Agency in 2018, which really quantified the scale and the impact of food waste on every business. We used that data then to work with our own fine businesses to give them an understanding of just how much food waste firstly they're producing and secondly the cost to them and when you delve into those figures it's absolutely shocking Uh, it it amazes many of them just how much they're spending on food waste every year once they realize that then we help them by getting consultants to work with them to put very simple solutions in place which will minimize the production and the waste of food and Seamus just in terms of sort of looking at the bigger picture where do you feel we're at generally with this but also within Carlo do you feel as though we're heading in the right direction are we moving fast enough what's your take on that well I suppose we can never we can never move fast enough but I think there is a very important awareness after arising in the last year or two about the scale of food waste and when people have come to that realisation and a lot of that has been driven let's be honest about it by the huge costs that all businesses are facing now in terms of staffing costs in terms of energy and so forth in terms of raw materials if they can identify ways of reducing that in any way uh, it, it, it gives them a huge step towards financial sustainability and what we're seeing as well is when, when we're talking to businesses about the financial impact 
and they see how much money they could potentially save by taking simple steps to reduce food waste. It, it starts broader conversations then internally with them in terms of what other steps they can take to be more environmentally sustainable. And just in terms of, like when we talk about different environmental issues, like we have throughout the duration of this program to date there, there can be skepticism around it and that there's financial costs or whatever but really is the message when it comes to food and waste for businesses particularly that this is a no-brainer because you're not just benefiting the environment massively but you're also helping your own back pocket that there's actually it's not that there's financial detriments here there's actually financial benefits there's huge financial benefit here and we start off by focusing on this issue to show just how much money food waste is costing businesses every year. And when they see that, they suddenly realise the scale of the problem they're, they're facing themselves. What, what we have found by utilising the data produced by the EPA is that a huge amount of the food waste um, produced in Ireland is uh, completely avoidable. On a national level, the, the Irish food sector wastes 100,000 tonnes of food annually, and there's an estimated cost on that of €270. Euros. But then when we break it down in terms of the impact that can have on individual businesses, we're talking about huge money. So if I can give you an example of a hotel. If you have a hotel that's catering for a wedding with 120 guests at it, data has proven that that wedding produced 25 kilos of wasted food and, or sorry, wasted potatoes and wasted vegetables. That's based on 210 grams per person. Now, 210 grams per person isn't a huge amount, but that adds up to 25 kilos per person. Now, nine kilos of that comes from waste on the plate that has been served to people and that they didn't eat. But an additional 16 kilos of that is food which was produced and left on the trays that was never even served out to people. So the estimate is, and the very good data to back this up, the cost of food waste per kilo is about €2.60. Now, that comes from the cost of buying the food, the staff time in terms of preparing and handling the food, and then the cost of uh, binning and, uh, the food afterwards. So if you have €2.60 per kilo, by 25 kilos wasted in a wedding, that's coming to 65 euros in one wedding in wasted potatoes and wasted vegetables. Typical hotel will do a wedding of that size twice a week. So when you multiply those figures out, a typical sized hotel will will cost them close to 7,000 euros a year just from wasted potatoes and vegetables at two wedding receptions a week. So when you put... A, a very stark figure of €7,000 a year from wasted potatoes and wasted vegetables in an average-sized business, you suddenly start people realising the scale of the financial problem that they are facing and the financial benefit for them by taking very simple steps to, to overcome some of those problems. And very finally, Seamus, for any business people listening in or anybody generally that is just interested in this topic, what's the biggest thing you'd like them to take away from this interview? The biggest thing I'd like them to take away from this interview, well, there's, there's two things, really. Firstly, 
that there is a huge scale of food waste in food businesses in this country, that they don't realise the scale of it firstly and the cost of it. And most food businesses are actually spending thousands of euros a year on wasted food. They don't have to be spending that if they took very simple steps. But the second thing then I'd like them to take away is that there are supports there to help them assess the scale of the problem in their own business and steps that they can take to to reduce or minimise that level of waste. So they can come to an organisation like us who have put a programme in place and we're delivering it this year in partnership with Carlo Chamber of Commerce and with Carlo Tourism as well. And three of us are looking to work with businesses within County Carlo to help them identify the scale of food waste that they're producing, the cost to them. And we will support them then to take very practical, simple steps that won't cost them money, but will save them quite a lot in, in the long run. So there is help available there for anyone who is interested in looking at that was Seamus Doran there um, discussing how businesses can affordably and efficiently dispose of their food waste. Now, Robbie, what have we got next? Okay, so next we're going to hear from local Food Cloud user Eileen Doyle. She explained to me how Food Cloud has been an advantage for the Cardiff Centre in Follow and how she's implemented it into her own life. I began by asking her what the Cardiff Centre is. Yeah, the Cardiff Centre in Tullow is a, a day service for adults with intellectual disability and they would travel from around the Tullow area. We would go out as far as Castle Dermot and we'd go out onto the Wicklow border and at the other side we're nearly on the Wexford border, the Kildavan side. And we would have uh, a number of young people over 18 up to old age, so it's right across the whole spectrum of life. And they would come in here every day and avail of a service. So different things that might happen in here would be, you know, some people would uh, like to do maybe literacy, more people like recreational activities. So we'd be involved in the local tennis club or we're involved in the gym and we use the swimming pool in Mount Wolsey and we also use the one in the Talbot Hotel in Carlo. So, you know, I suppose what I'm saying is we're very much involved in the community around us. And the other activities like literacy and then some people may have higher needs that they might have to avail of OT services, etc. That's kind of a, if you like, an overall picture of what we're, we're about. And just for yourself personally, how did you become involved with the Cardiff Centre? Um, I suppose I would have, I would have, you know, gone back a long time. I would have always had an interest in uh, around people with disability and I suppose to be an advocate for them and to give them the opportunity to have a voice in their own community and a voice in their own life. And that's probably where the interest really stemmed from. I would have went to um, Morabi Monstrev and I would have trained there as a nurse in um, an R&ID. So that would be around intellectual disability. And then I came back to work in Tullow. I'm actually from Tullow originally, or near enough to Tullow, just outside of town. And um, I was lucky enough to get a position here. So it was pretty much a, a greenfield site when I came here. And we would have developed the service for here on this particular service for the last 20 years. In fact, the 1st of June, we would be 20 years in the building. So, um, you know, it, it, it has been a really good experience. And certainly for me, it has, because I have seen how people have developed through the years and how they have developed a voice for themselves. So that, that in itself is very positive. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, and if we move on then to kind of your own life and the fact that you're a food cloud user, for people like myself that 
to be frank, having a clue what that means, what is a food cloud user? Well, I suppose the food cloud was developed as it was very much a social enterprise by two ladies in, in, in Dublin, and it was all around food waste. And rather than food that would be, you know, pretty pretty good and would be going into local into skips, what they do is they they would put gather the food together in the local in the supermarkets like here in Tolo Aldi and Little would very much be uh, we would get food from. So what they do is they let us know that they have so much food available and we would go and collect it and we would use that food. Uh, now it's never it's actually never really out of date. It's very much on the day that it's best before. So we would use that food then for uh, to provide food for the individuals that attend the service. So we get it they would get their dinner out of it. Uh, we would also have the like the bread for breakfast or for toast in the morning, um, and any the fruit, anything that's not, um, you know, that they're not going to sell, we would get in food cloud, and that provides with a huge part of our um, provisions here in the centre. And again, if there's eggs and there's flowers, so we would use that for baking with the with the lads. So that's part of the training. So, like, Food Cloud has been so useful for us for the last number of years. And how did you become involved in it? How did you become aware of Food Cloud and why did you feel as though it was the right step to implement it uh, into your own life and into the Carter Centre? I suppose I followed the whole development through the social enterprise of the two ladies who developed it in Dublin. And I kind of felt, well, wouldn't it be fantastic if we had it at a local level? And I suppose the cost of running a service like ours and the cost of providing food or providing lunches for the lads because sometimes lads are left, they leave their homes very early in the morning and they do need to have something substantial around dinner time. And a lot of time, you know, they may be very finicky eaters and very picky. So I was kind of of the opinion, well, if we have a food cloud and this, this food is going to be dumped, why can't we uh, make use of it? So that's that's really how I kind of got involved and I got onto the, the guys in, in Aldi and Lidl and the supermarkets here in town and uh, they were really happy to register with the, the food cloud. So um, that's what they have done. So we would, they would let us know, they give us a text to say there's so many kgs of food available and we would go and collect it. And do you feel it's something that most people can easily implement into their own lives? Well, I certainly think from a service provision because, I mean, we're we're really dependent on donations and we're dependent on uh, fundraising. And, I mean, we do get a, a... Certainly we get an income from the HSE. But, like, that HSE, that, that income doesn't near meet the, the cost of providing the service. So, you know, from that point of view, I think it's really useful because rather than kind of always depending on, on um, you know, donations, I think it's really good to get involved in something like that locally. And, you know, the food is there, so why not use it? And just generally, Eileen, like, do you take note of how beneficial this is for the environment as well? Because it really would, if everybody were to implement it into their daily lives, it would work wonders. Oh yeah, 100% because you're not throwing out food. I mean, like I was, I was speaking to uh, somebody who's really involved in this whole area and like the amount of food that's wasted in restaurants and cafes and places like that during the day, 
just unbelievable. And you can see it yourself. Like lots of times you go in and you buy a sandwich and there's a, a greens put on the plate beside it. Most of the time those greens go back and they're all dumped. Like that's a cost. There's a huge cost saving in in the whole um, the whole food cloud, and also in kind of become more aware of what we're throwing out. Like I think where you have a restaurant and somebody says to you, "Well, do you want a, do you want salad with that?" You know, they're actually being very conscious about the environment. And just before I let you go, Eileen, what's the kind of biggest message you would like for people listening in what, what's the biggest message you would like to send to them in terms of how they can become a food cloud user themselves I, I think it's well worth your while going and talking to the local you know in a town like Tullow where you have a number of supermarkets and asking them whether they're willing to get involved and get them to register with food cloud and then you know there's loads especially here in Tullow we have a number of charities um, like ourselves, <coughs> and people are fundraising, or people are going out, they're selling tickets and all that. But like, why not look at it? Would that be the way of look of, especially for the like of the daycares, and that you know, if say Tesco or Super Value or Aldi or Little, like if they have those extra food, why doesn't that go towards that rather than going into a skip? And ask that question, like, what do you do with your food waste? the food that you don't sell or the food that's coming near its its uh, best before date. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. Welcome back. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR with George Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. Robbie, before the break, we heard from Seamus Doran and Eileen Doyle and we're going to hear a little bit now about growing your own food. Yeah, we are indeed. We're going to look at the work on Guardian Yoad does in Carlow with John McHugh. The first question I asked John was to give us some background to the work that he does with on Guardian Yo and also with Carlow College. Well, I, I suppose I, I, I'm a lecturer in Applied Social Studies and Social Care at Carlow College, uh, St. Patrick's. Uh, and uh, I'm also uh, a member of the board of directors, uh, vice chair of uh, Ungardian Bio Community Garden. Uh, that's in a, a volunteer capacity, and uh, it takes up uh, plenty of spare time, uh, but it's also well worth it. Uh, so that's where that's where I come into the picture. And what is Ungardian Bio? Ungardian Bio is a community garden. Uh, and uh, basically what it is is a two-acre site uh, in the middle of Carlow Town, just beside St. Leo's uh, School there on the old Dublin Road. Uh, and um, uh, what it is, I suppose, is a place where people can gather together uh, to engage with uh, nature, with the growing and the eating of food, uh, and I suppose with one another. Uh, and, and that's the, the whole idea of a community garden, I suppose. It's to, it's to, to, to create a space where, where that sort of interaction can happen. And how did Ongardian Bio come to be and when did it actually begin? Mm-hmm. Well, in 2014, the Sisters of Mercy, uh, who own the, the, the site, um, uh, I suppose put out an invitation to the wider community and to interested parties to see if something could be done uh, to to uh, uh, so preserve and create a green space uh, in the heart of Carlow Town. 
Um, it was part of the, the overall school complex, uh, but it had the school had developed in the other direction, and, and this was an area, uh, as I say, two acres in total, uh, that was, I suppose, taken up uh, by a mixture of older buildings, uh, basketball court, uh, uh, some other old gardens, and, and just spare space, I suppose, that hadn't been touched for uh, the, well, well over 10 years at that time. So they, they wanted to, to kind of see if there was something that uh, would be possible for it to, to be a resource for, for Carlow Town, uh, you know, with the theme of sustainability and biodiversity and protection of nature and engagement with, with growing and, and, and all of that kind of thing. So uh, out of that, then, various different people from different community groups and people who are interested in sustainability at the time in 2014 uh, began to, to, to kind of take a form and, uh, uh, and established a, a steering group at that time uh, uh, where uh, ideas were exchanged and explored and then put a bit of shape on things uh, in terms of uh, of, I suppose, an entity, uh, as something. Uh, and the idea of community garden was one that seemed to fit quite well. Uh, and after, I suppose, a, a, a several months of meetings in that, it began to, to formulate into something more more definite. Uh, and the name on Guardian Bio uh, came out of that uh, uh, group uh, interaction and, and reflection and talking and uh, and all of that. Uh, and then we, we, we then formed... Uh, uh, on Guardian Bio, uh, Tiorenta, which is a limited company, uh, not-for-profit not organisation, and we registered them uh, uh, for charitable status as well. So um, that allowed us, I suppose, to to develop and uh, seek funding and uh, develop a structure that would be able to uh, carry the space, if you like, and, and uh, have it evolve into what it is today, which is where uh, a lot of groups from the local community, a lot of individuals uh, come in and, I suppose, enjoy the space in, in lots of different ways. But I think more or less, I think that the uh, key word would be connect. Uh, they connect with nature, they connect with food, where it comes from, they connect with growing food, uh, and they also connect with, with, with each other. And all of those are ingredients, I think, that uh, go into community gardens up and down the country in all sorts of shapes and sizes. It's really interesting. And I just wanted to kind of ask some general questions around food and waste that are related to your work and the work that you do with um, on Guardian Bio. The first question, I suppose, maybe might be an obvious one for you, but maybe not for somebody like myself or a lot of our listeners. What actually happens to our food once it goes in the bin? Well, once it goes in the bin, uh, depending on what, how, how refined the, the bin and recycling uh, process is, if it just goes into general waste, it just goes in along with lots of other waste uh, and goes to the dump uh, and accumulates. But I suppose at Engorging Bio, we have a, what we call a master composting site there, and not everybody in their own garden is going to create a master composting site. Uh, but what it does is it kind of gives us I suppose, examples of maybe alternative ways of, of um, uh, recycling waste, I suppose. We call, you know, we use the word waste for, for lots and lots of different things. And in fact, 
a lot of the things is waste is not the best word. Uh, it's a, it has lots of potential. So, for example, if you have a, a compost bin, uh, you know that that's and, and there are various different ways in which uh, food can be can be uh, uh, recycled, I suppose, in some ways. But I suppose we at Engorging Bio would emphasize the the recycling of of uh, waste materials from gardens. You know, so uh, recycling uh, plant and organic matter uh, leaves and the like uh, into uh, through, through our uh, composting site, uh, through a turning system or through a, a, a plastic decomposter uh, or through other systems that are there. And it gives people, I suppose, examples of how that can happen. For own domestic waste, uh, there are various different, uh, I suppose, um, uh, methods of of uh, recycling. Uh, usually, the difference would be between kind of cooked food and uncooked food. Uh, and it's you know there's there's lots of sites out there that'll that'll help guide through those. In fact, local councils uh, also provide uh, a lot of information and support for individual households as to what suits them best. Uh, so. You know, it's a, it is a learning process and you do have to engage with the learning on it, but it's it's rewarding to know that we are cutting down on on, on what is just uh, discarded and not thought about as a potential ingredient for, for compost uh, in, in our own homes. And if we move on to kind of growing your own food, John, is it possible for people in urban areas to grow their own food? Well, yes is the answer. Uh, I, I think, again, it's about taking on something that's suitable for your own particular space. Um, so I've seen people uh, growing, you know, even if it's just uh, growing a, a small amount of lettuce uh, or greens uh, for your salad bowl uh, in a very in, in, in pots on your balcony. Uh, I think what that does, I mean, it's not going to save you a huge amount of money off your grocery bill. But what it does is it connects us with uh, where our food comes from. Uh, and uh, it connects us with the fact that, you know, uh, where we get our best health is from engaging with uh, with the natural process of growing. Uh, and when we get connected into that, even in a very small way, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's a life lesson, if you like. It, it, it reforges that connection in, this, in a similar way to going for a walk in nature connects us with the greater, the great outdoors, if you like, and, and, and how uh, biodiversity might work. Just through engagement, observation, testing and that kind of thing. Of course, you can scale up from that depending on how much space you have, whether it be grow beds or whether it be a, 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 a no-dig version of gardening or whatever it is. I mean, but to start small, to start uh, within uh, the means that you have and to learn as you go, uh, I think, that, and not to be afraid to make uh, mistakes. I think that's important. Uh, you know, uh, nature is imperfect and maybe so are some of our growing methods. But it's to try to engage in in connecting with uh, where good food comes from and the way of growing that food. Uh, I think that's that's an important uh, skill to have in life. And John, how important is the role of a community garden for the community? Yeah, I suppose when you look at a a town the size of Carlow, there are, it's a fairly large town. Uh, and one can get fairly isolated. It's not the same as in a big city, but one can get fairly isolated from, I suppose, the the bigger picture of where human beings fit into the the, the globe, if you like, and the planet Earth. Uh, so it's important maybe to to kind of have spaces that allow people to explore our connections with nature. 
uh, to explore uh, the, the, the connections that we have with where our food comes from uh, and to explore connections with how we engage with one another. I suppose if you, if you put all those three things together, they kind of point in a direction of what we call community resilience. In other words, the, the capacity of the wider community to be able to react to situations that arise uh, as we go along. So the importance of, of being able to kind of develop skills to grow and uh, cook food, really important uh, for our own uh, just day-to-day well-being. And we've seen over the last while where, you know, what we talk about supply chains of food uh, kind of, uh, and concerns about where our food comes from, uh, you know, concerns about uh, how our food is grown and how, what impact that has uh, on nature and on biodiversity. Um, so to be able to uh, kind of engage in all of that sort of area uh, is important for uh, a, a wider community to, to, to have a knowledge of and to have a connection with because it informs the decisions we make about the food we buy uh, and about how we use food. Um, the other thing, I suppose, is, is connecting with each other in a real way. Um, and through nature and through gardening-related uh, activities, we can do that, uh, I suppose, automatically. We, we kind of hear a lot on the radio and TV at the moment, uh, and in social media indeed, around AI, artificial intelligence, and how it impacts in all aspects of our lives. But maybe one of the, the, the counteractions to that is to have a genuine face-to-face engagement with other people. Uh, and again, through community-related uh, gardening activities, uh, that's where that genuine connection happens. So if you're, if you're able to make more connections uh, with, with people who live in the same area, uh, I think where, wherever uh, disaster strikes or wherever challenges arise at a wider community level, the more connections we have with each other, uh, the better, because that makes us better able to give help and to receive help when that help is needed. And very finally, John, for people that are interested in getting involved in On Guardian Bio, how do they do so? Yeah, well, there are lots of opportunities for people to get involved. It's an entirely volunteer-led organisation. So volunteerism happens in lots of different ways, everything from being a volunteer member of the board of directors or committee uh, or through some of the subgroups that focus in on areas like biodiversity or growing food or planning and development. Those kind of subgroups we have that allow people to, to engage or just to volunteer to come in and do a little bit of weeding or physical work, kind of tending to the beds, watering, uh, you know, lawn mowing, those kinds of things are, are, are tending to the kind of some of the projects that we have going on on an ongoing basis. Uh, they can uh, email us directly on, on uh, Carroll Community Garden at gmail.com uh, or they could go and make contact through Carroll Volunteer Centre, who knows quite well, uh, and they would be able to make the connections uh, for people who, who want to give some of their time uh, to a project like this. John McHugh of Unguardian Bio there chatting with Robbie earlier. And Robbie, moving on to our final piece of the evening. Yeah, our final piece this evening is with Murphy's Craft Butchers. Um, James Murphy, of course, who owns uh, the butchers in Tullow. I began by asking him to give us some background on uh, the business in Tullow. Well, it was started by my great-grandfather um, in 1909. Um, we're still here in the same premises in Church Street, Tullow. Um, so uh, they were original, 
they had merchants, they had a merchant premises up here in Church Street, so it was a provision shop at the time, so it would have sold paraffin, sugar, flour, whatever was actually needed, apples, cabbage, coal, whatever was needed at the time, and meat. And uh, the progress then were full-blown butchers um, from the 1930s to this day, um, and I suppose they were killing, we had our own abattoir, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and we updated the abattoir in the early 80s and built a, um, a modern abattoir in the 1980s, and the abattoir is still there today. So we still uh, produce our own beef and lamb. Uh, we buy off local farms um, within the area, so we're very low food mild, which is good for the environment and uh, helps us reduce our carbon emissions. So um, we're in, the, I'm the fourth generation now. Uh, my father is kind of lazy. He still does a little bit. He's 77, but uh, he, he's kind of semi-retired. He doesn't do much anymore. And myself and my wife, Bernadette, now run the business. Um, and we, I suppose, we're going, we're still going very, very, very well. Um, we've implemented a lot of new things over the last few years to try to be more sustainable and TV panels and things like that in. So we're going well. The business is going really well. We won the best pork sausage in the world last September in America at World Butcher's Challenge, and uh, we're hoping now to build on a production area to produce the best pork sausage in the world on site here. So that's a big, big thing coming up in the, at the moment. It's an incredible history, and obviously it's great to hear that you're doing well at the moment. Just to focus in on the environmental initiatives that you put in place at the butchers James when do you think you started to become very environmentally conscious uh, well, we always had a good track record the father was always very very good at recycling so I could tell you 15 years ago we had all the different coloured bins <laughs> and he'd have his bottle bins and his cardboard and paper bins and he'd recycle everything that we could in the shop bottles you know so everything we could recycle we recycled Um and then I suppose we kind of got a little bit more. We started using the compost bins um, in the last few years. Um, I suppose we colour-coded everything in the shop so staff would be able to work on things as well. So um, at the moment, we would have a bottle bin, compost bin, recycling bin for plastic, recycling bin for cardboard, um, so a gla- and a glass bin then as well. So we have everything covered as in regards I suppose it's about five, six years since we really brought the staff into it as well to try to cut down on waste um, and we brought the customers in as well so our packaging in the shop now we would have gone away from as much plastic as we can to biodegradable plastic uh, we have a coffee area um, so we use biodegradable coffee cups now um, so we, we're trying to, you know yourself you kind of look at everything in the world has kind of gone backward you know everything is going you have climate change, you have storms, you have weather changes all over the world. That, you know, they're getting more severe. And we, if we don't, someone doesn't start, even if it's only small like ourselves, um, the, you know, what's going to be the future for our children? That's the way I look at it. So I suppose I have young kids myself and I look at that. Um, I'd like to be leaving the planet back the way, <laughs> for them, the way we got it. And maybe I'll leave it a little bit better. That's brilliant to hear that there's leaders in the community like yourself, Jamin, like and like yourselves at um, Murphy's Craft Butchers in Tullow. Just to go through some of the things maybe that you do, 
one way in which you've cut your carbon footprint is by limiting the amount of travel to and from the shop, from your warehouse where the meat is stored. Why did you feel as though that was the right thing to do? We've always done it. Like we, we've always had the abattoir. I'm here since nineteen late 1980s. Um, I started full time in '93 after school, and we've always had the abattoir. And we've always bought local. Um, I suppose it was very important for us. We were supporting local local farmers. Um, we were keeping business in the local area. Uh, so everything was about local produce. Uh, giving the people of Tullow and Carlo the best possible products. Um, beef and lamb that we could purchase but from local farmers so so they were always getting it's only in the, in the last few years this low you know low food miles became more it was becoming a big impact on things all over the world that people were getting stuff coming from china but they didn't realize how many how you know how much it was costing to get from china to ireland but how much diesel maybe was being used in lorries or boats or whatever so we always had low food miles. It's just become more apparent, you know. Nowadays, it's more people are kind of a bit more aware, and they like to know that they're 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 not in, impacting the environment. And um, I suppose we can we we know exactly who the farmers we buy off. We have the same farmers that my father dealt with that I'm dealing with, and they know what we want. They know the quality we want, and you just have a better product. And you, the animals, then of course because they're traveling such small distances um, there's no stress on the animals which is good for animal welfare so we pick all the boxes and that's what we've always done and we i continue to do that same as my father and my grandfather did and i know one thing that you do as well is to try and minimize your use of electricity how did you go about doing that when you consider how much electricity is necessary not just to run a business but particularly to run a butcher's yeah, so refrigeration is always going to be a, a big problem in uh, anyone who has anyone who has a butcher's or in meat industry or even even any most supermarkets now. There's so much refrigeration involved, and you, you know you need refrigeration has to be on. You can't turn it on and off, you know, as you need it because you're trying to store a product at certain temperatures. So, um, I suppose I looked at a lot of the problem. I, I I went through the enterprise board in Carlo, and I would have went through some of their green initiatives, um, lean green. And um, I had a very good company called Vision Green as part of my, um, basically came out, done a a whole survey of my energy, uh, my carbon uh, footprint, so to see where we could cut down. And one of our highest things was shown was 50-something percent of our overall carbon footprint was electricity. So we had to decide. So during that, with Vision Green, we came up with a plan, basically. So any old fluorescent bulbs we change LED bulbs so they're they run at about a quarter of the the energy consumption as a standard um, we change a lot of our old uh, refrigerated units which were maybe 20 25 30 years old um, to newer ones which have 40 percent less running costs and electricity usage um, and then I suppose we put in 36 PV panels uh, which which at the moment they were only really connected up in December um, and they really are only starting to show um, how good they are at the moment. So um, when we over-generate, it goes back to the grid. James Murphy of Murphy's Craft Butchers in Tullow, they're speaking with Robbie. Um, and Robbie, 
I want you to cast your mind back to last week because we have been obviously over the last three weeks talking about food and waste. And one of the things that we were discussing is, I suppose, being more aware and keeping track of your food waste. And we said to ourselves last week that we were going to make a list. And so how did you get on with that list last week? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> as you can imagine, no. And not as well as I would have liked to, to be honest with you, Deirdre. Um, you'd be surprised when you do start making a list and you start thinking about what you're actually doing. The amount of food uh, that you throw out is tough to take. And I think we uh, alluded to it last week and we confirmed it on the show of one in every four shopping bags are thrown out. Mm. And uh, well, I hope and I don't think I was that bad. You can see why, and but has you made has it made you more conscious and aware of it? It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, because you start realizing how much waste there is, and you know it's in the title, food and waste. But like, you just start throwing out stuff needlessly, and it's such a waste of money, and it's so bad for the environment. It's incredible. So it definitely makes you more aware of it, and I mean, there's absolutely no reason for it. So you do have to kind of become a lot more conscious of it. Yeah, absolutely. For myself as well, I suppose what I was noticing is, you know, when you're cooking, it's just being more aware of the amount of food that you're putting on if you don't need to be cooking that amount or if it's that, you know, you can't freeze it. Uh, and I think you were saying that the bread, you had thrown out some bread. bread yeah, I threw out um, four slices of bread, I think it was. It was uh, not good enough. Yeah, happy to admit that. But nevertheless, uh, something to learn from. And that's kind of, I suppose, what I took from it maybe. Okay, well, look, that uh, concludes our topic on food and waste, and we're moving on to the circular economy next week. So, that and a lot more to come from 6 pm as we continue our journey with local people who are making changes to their daily lives in the effort to help the climate change. A big thank you to all of our guests this evening, and thanks to you for listening. That's it from myself and Robbie. So, stay tuned for Fully Loaded with Owen Kerry coming up after the 7 o'clock news. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.